Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, Anne and guest host Phil Carlson are talking with Christian Schenk, Chief Executive Officer at Driven Deliveries, stock symbol DRVD, one of California's fastest growing online cannabis retailers and direct to consumer logistics companies. Founded by experienced technology and cannabis executives, the company provides e commerce solutions, online sales, and on demand cannabis delivery to 92% of California's population. Driven offers legal cannabis consumers over 450 products and delivers to their door in less than 60 minutes. Christian is joining us today to discuss Driven's technology, its unique marketing capabilities, and consumer trends in the cannabis industry under the conditions of COVID-19. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our conversation with Christian, Anne, and Phil. Christian, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you on. I think um, a lot of people uh, are really interested in delivery services, especially now, um, you know, and, you know, it's become such an important, vital part of how people both get their medicine and how people get um, their cannabis, even for, for adult use purposes. So before we dive in, where are you joining us from and how are things from your neck of the woods? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for having us and uh, excited to participate here today. Uh, I'm talking to you guys here from Los Angeles, California, which is uh, oh. where we're headquartered. I don't think I, I, so I'm in LA too. I'm in Marina Del Rey. So you're probably heading to LAX soon, aren't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty shortly. Yeah. So uh, we're bit, our office, our headquarters is in El Segundo. Oh, yes, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about Driven's services, what you guys do and where you operate in the California market. Yeah, certainly. So Driven Deliveries is a parent organization to do two major consumer facing brands uh, in the online retail and direct to home delivery space. Uh, first one being Gond Runner and the second one being Buddy. And essentially what we do is we have uh, a massive network of delivery vehicles uh, and cannabis experts who are traveling throughout the state. Um, that are uh, receiving orders from consumers through our e-commerce stores, and we're delivering products to 92% of the population within 60 minutes. So we currently have about 420 or so employees, about 350 which are drivers, and yeah, we're uh, we're growing as fast as we can and delivering in the goods to as many uh, cannabis consumers as possible. I'm sorry, you have 420 employees. That's correct. That's on purpose. <laughs> that is. Uh, necessary uh, evil in our space. So in, in, in the state of California, the BCC, which is the governing body here, which uh, governs cannabis business operations, requires that our uh, all uh, participants within the supply chain and um, specifically the sale of cannabis be W-2 employees of the license holder. So we have a disproportionate amount of professionals that are on payroll. Uh, we find a way to make it work. So, uh, Christian, your background is in transportation and payment technology. Can you tell us more about your experience and what inspired you to get involved in cannabis? Yeah, no, great question. Uh, you know what? I always look at it to say 
from a logistics perspective, it's the art of getting goods from point A to point B. And in cannabis, it's especially complicated because there's the added complexity of the regulatory compliance as it relates to different licensing that is required for each move within the supply chain. And from our perspective, Driven's focus, at least initially and, and right now, is the final leg. So final mile delivering products from our facilities to a consumer's home. And we have a very unique way of doing that. In prior lives, uh, you know, we were really focused on um, how do we recruit the amount of uh, capacity needed to help move freight. And that was the predominant, you know, focus of my businesses in the past was creating large concentrations of professionals that would help move product throughout the United States. Our last um, transportation tech company grew to about 840,000 professional truck drivers in about a year and a half. Wow. And so when we looked at transportation um, within the cannabis sector, we saw it as really very similar uh, components that needed to come together. One was we needed to build a very robust delivery network. And enabled, in order to do that, we had to have really two things. One was um, a very compelling uh, way to recruit and uh, retain employees. And as you could imagine, the um, driving the driver community is, um, you know, there's a lot of options out there. And while Uber and Lyft may not be moving as many passengers today, we're, it's a struggle always to make sure that we have a compelling story to bring in the you know, we're hiring between 30 and 50 employees every month um, on the driver's side. And so that onboarding and constant recruiting and retention program is something that's of significant importance. The second is um, technology. We need to have a robust tech platform that will enable us to get um, the most optimization out of the fleet as possible and as quickly and efficiently route orders that are coming in to the appropriate um, resource, aka driver and vehicle in a respective market. And so we've built those things. That was our primary focus uh, at Driven coming in here and, you know, coming from my previous life, it's really the same, the same issues. And um, acquiring cannabis users is no different than trying to find 840,000 truck drivers across the country. And um, we've done a very good job uh, here, you know, from a marketing perspective, finding unique ways to, you know, to find those cannabis consumers. How has COVID affected your your business? Um, I, I would assume that this the the double whammy, well, whammy in a good way, I guess, of of cannabis being considered an essential service, um, and then you know people wanting to social distance and not want to you know go into dispensaries, so delivery becomes a really important vehicle for people. Um, has this, has your business just skyrocketed, you know, since March? Yeah, no, great question. Uh, it has. So our business between, I remember it very clearly, I was out to dinner and Governor Newsom announced a shelter in place order. It was March 14th, right around four o'clock and five o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, it was a Friday and that day our sales on Fridays, we had a very clear benchmark of where they were and they were like 40% higher. And we're like, wait a minute, this is pretty interesting. Um, what are we, what are we looking at here? The following day was a Saturday volume was about, you know, 45, 50% of what it's supposed to be. And, you know, we really had to make a decision, like how are we going to react and what was the business going to do to be able to a, um, satisfy the demand, but, uh, from which has a few different uh, implications. One was 
inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, we run a very tight inventory supply chain. We buy twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and turn inventory on a five-day schedule. So based on this volume, we were like, we're going to run an inventory by Tuesday. We need to quickly over the weekend make some adjustments. And then um, furthermore, not every leg of uh, the supply chain in cannabis was deemed essential. So some brands were um, that were non-manufacturing brands were forced to not operate for a period of time. And so we very quickly were like, what kind of inventory can we pull out of the supply chain that's sitting out there with distributors to make sure that our menus are not the ones that are depleted? So um, over the weekend, we quadrupled our typical order that goes out on Monday to make sure that we were in a position to you know, weather that demand and uh, it paid off. So in the front half of 2020, we had made some significant technology investments in our ability to um, really couple of things. And the marketing side was uh, automatic segmentation. So we have a platform called Driven by Numbers, which is a data visualization and analytics tool that allows us to find out which customers are buying what and where and what the demographics and affinities are so that we can very accurately put products in front of them that they're going to buy. And the second was um, a uh, automation engine, which allowed us to really um, go out and acquire new customers. So being able to create a very unique workflow Um, that would be conducive to consumers that are out shopping any number of our digital assets, whether it's a landing page or Google programs, or we have a mobile app that's out there that helps drive attribution and engagement as well. And we had all of this stuff done, not because we were, you know, voodoo thinkers and could proactively see that we had a pandemic we were going to get hit with, (laughs) Um, but it was the perfect storm. I mean, we had uh, built out a technical infrastructure and an operational infrastructure that could weather literally doubling the size of our business in just, you know, about 10 days. So by the end of March, we were double the size we were on the 14th. And, um, you know, we've continued double digit growth through where we are today reporting, you know, month over month uh, gains, um, you know, in the mid to high teens, um, showing no signs of slowing down. So, um, but with that came a lot of, you know, new, uh, expansion. You know, in March, we had about 230 people. As I mentioned, now we're about 420. So that's a lot of hiring. That's a lot of new vehicles. That's a lot of training and onboarding. Um, a significant amount of infrastructure goes into making sure that um, we can continue this degree of volume, but also beyond it. And so we built the organization now to be able to sustain, you know, another 46, 40 to 60% growth without additional investment, which has been, you know, strategically part of what we were, uh, you know, really trying to do. And, um, but also we had to look out for the safety of our employees. I mean, being deemed an essential service while a blessing financially, it puts a lot of bearing and responsibility on the employer to, to make sure the proper safety precautions are in place. And I don't know if you guys remember, I remember, but you couldn't find toilet paper in the state of California. Never oh, mind, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> hand sanitizers and gloves and masks and all these things that we had to go find. And, you know, we had to pull in some favors from all over the globe to make sure our employees were well taken care of. And I'll say, you know, our operations staff and, uh, you know, Sal, our president did a phenomenal job of making sure we were always five steps ahead, whether it was hiring, um, whether it was, you know, safety supplies, um, you know, process procedure, proper communication and education. Um, you know, we, we nailed it. And, uh, for that, we, we got to reap some of the rewards of the, the increased business. Well, well, Christian, if, from what we've seen, 
you know, navigating how to market in the cannabis industry can be quite challenging. But looking at the trending of your customer acquisition costs, you guys have you know, seem to figure this out. How do you how do your marketing strategies, uh, brand buddy specifically, add value to the brands and the consumers? Yeah, uh, we have worked really hard on this. And as I as mentioned before, you know, marketing and digital customer or consumer acquisition is something that many of us from previous lives have uh, participated in. Um, as I mentioned, we had the the trucking program before, uh, and then after that, we had a very uh, successful fintech product that was targeted towards gig economy workers. And we grew that to about a million and a half or so, uh, you know, Uber and Lyft drivers over a period of, you know, about a year and a half, two years. And that comes from a very profound understanding of digital customer acquisition. And, you know, after joining the organization here at Driven, we really knew that technology was going to play a big role in how we were going to do this. And if you think about cannabis, we have a lot of regulations, you know, surrounding how we can market to individuals. And we have very little support, as everybody knows, Google, Apple, um, yeah, Facebook, Instagram are not cannabis friendly. And so while you can do a lot of lifestyle based, you know, advertising and awareness campaigns, and you can do, uh, you know, certain storytelling, you really can't promote the sale of cannabis in any which way over any mainstream platform. And it's, that's opened the door for a lot of companies to come in with unique cannabis programmatic ad advertising, you know, programs, but that would not scale fast enough for what we needed. And so we really looked at a number of different ways that we could take that, uh, you know, cannabis awareness component, lifestyle, derivative based marketing, you know, what are the effects of cannabis and use that in mainstream media to really drive engagement and attribution to our brand and, and, uh, and, and our offering. And you know, some examples of that are, you know, we are able to run, you know, ads on Google because, you know, we have a lot of different disparate assets such as landing pages that are about those derivative effects. And that gives us the opportunity to do, you know, competitive based marketing, to do um, geolocated based marketing, like right down to the zip code. And since we have a disproportionate amount of data analytics and intelligence on the consumers, um, we use a lot of third party information such as, you know, uh, you know, demographics and uh, information surrounding zip code performance. We look at stuff like household income, English as a first language, uh, you know, household density, uh, housing density, housing values, and all of those attributes tell us something very unique about a consumer and how they're going to buy or interact with cannabis. And so by having a very refined message and having refined content that's relevant to the person that you're putting it in front of is just a, a natural progression to getting a higher rate of engagement. And we've been incredibly successful and good at that um, since inception. And now with the scale and the automation that we've put together through Driven by Numbers, we can do it at a mass, mass, mass degree. Uh, right now, 30 to 33% of our orders on a daily basis are from people we've never met before. And so we're growing, you know, 330 or so new customers every day while maintaining an 88% retention rate because we have built the network and the infrastructure to sustain the business and deliver on the commitment of, you know, 60 minutes or less. And so our, you know, our ratings are really high. And so you take a high degree of accuracy and focus 
um, on acquisition coupled with an 88% retention rate because you do what you say you're going to do. And it creates a very predictable, uh, you know, growth for the business. And it's how we're able to forecast not just, you know, what our top line revenues are going to be, but what the infrastructure and uh, overall, you know, financial performance of the business is going to look like. And when we have to pull what levers to either expand or, uh, you know, drive further efficiencies. And so we, that's been very successful for us. Um, we also have a mobile app. We built out a, a community called Weed Waves. It's available in iOS and Android. And while it doesn't transact or sell, you can't buy cannabis through the app, it does provide a high degree of intelligence and, and information. There's uh, industry news, so a, an aggregate of news that's crossing the wire on an ongoing basis from around the globe surrounding cannabis. There's a explore function, which allows consumers to learn about different strains and products and categories that otherwise, you know, they may not get, you know, accurate information on. Um, there's opportunities to link out of the app to, you know, investigate more and eventually buy. We also have uh, about 300,000 local offers that uh, are out there on things consumers buy every day, you know, hotels, rounds of golf, restaurants, um, you know, apparel, anything that you could think of. And it's the mom and pop stores right through to the major chains like Subway and Domino's. And that gives that mobile app a high degree of engagement, which is ultimately what we want to do. And by understanding the redemption on things like coupons and discounts off mainstream products like golf and pizza, you know, we're able to very uh, accurately get additional intelligence on the consumers and what they're interacting with uh, outside of cannabis. So, you know, we know that uh, a cannabis consumer of beverage is 22% more likely to buy a BMW than somebody who buys flour. And now you may say, well, who cares? Why does that matter? It has a high degree of difference because I don't want to put a, uh, an individual in a BMW in an ad that I'm going to send to a consumer that's in a uh, populace where, you know, there's a high, high likelihood they're not going to have a BMW and they maybe get offended by an ad that included one. So it's about knowing the consumer. It's about using that data to effectively put relevant content in front of them and uh, doing so in a compliant way that that scales. And we've, we've, uh, we've done it before. And I think we found a very compelling mousetrap here driven. Well, and I would imagine that brands are in, you know, BMW would want to know that kind of information, right? They would. <laughs> well, and, and we've had a lot of interest too. So as we think about the evolution of Driven and where we're going to be able to go to now that we have this intelligence, you guys mentioned Brand Buddy, and I'll, I'll dive into that in a second. But as it relates to, you know, having intelligence on things like food, you know, we're able to, and we get a lot of inquiries, a lot of companies out there who are like, hey, we would love to be able to you know, buy your data in an anonymous format and, and use it to put programmatic ads up for people that are, you know, have just consumed cannabis so that they can go find something that has a higher propensity for them to do after consuming cannabis. And from our perspective is we have that relationship with the consumer and we can make that connection ourselves. So whether it's, hey, you know, we're going to deliver a bag of chips with your next order or you're going to get a coupon to buy a pizza 20 minutes after our delivery, um, are all additional value adds that we can bring to this community that they're not getting today. And while programmatic advertising can put content in front of people, it can't put the offer. They don't know the consumer the way we do. And while we handle, you know, privacy and, and, at, at, and security at an incredibly high rate, for us, it's about how do we 
provide the best experience to our customers that our competitors can't even dream of. And, you know, we've done that. It's why, you know, our average consumer rating on Google, as an example, is 4.8. And our largest competitor has been sitting in the low twos since I've been in the industry. And so a lot of opportunity there. Another, you know, another component to acquisition for us was really trying to figure out a new way to reach a consumer. And as, as cannabis in California has continued to evolve, you know, it started to see a higher propensity for brands that are creating loyalty with the end consumer. And if you think about cannabis, how it started in California and in most markets, especially Colorado, who's got the most years under their belt, you have a consumer that's got a relationship with the dispensary or a retailer, but very rarely do they have a relationship with the brand. In mm-hmm. California, they've done a great job. The industry is the best in the world, in my opinion, as it relates to creating a CPG world for you know cannabis products. And as such, the packaging, the messaging, you know, the positioning of those products has gotten to the point where there is starting to become consumer affinities to particular brands, specifically around the super high-end brands, but especially in the more CPG or consumer, uh, I would say higher, uh, higher size segments. And I'll give you an example. So edibles and beverages categories are significantly increasing in popularity as people who traditionally didn't consume cannabis and all of a sudden now are as a byproduct of, you know, kids not going to school and pandemics and working from home. But the, you know, the consumption through smoke or vape have, you know, maybe have a nostalgia to them that they can't, that that they're not comfortable with, but, you know, on an edibles and a beverage size, it really does. And so when we look at that type of consumer, you know, there's a higher degree of uh, awareness around what a product needs to look like and how they're going to interact with it. And, and with that, you get this affinity to brands. We wanted to create a solution to our brand partners that would allow them to build off of that relationship. And for those that don't have a relationship, specifically a digital relationship with their consumers, we wanted to give them the ability to do it. So we launched a program called Brand Buddy, which is essentially our vendor program. Effective in August, all uh, brands that participate in our menu are in this. Um, and they all have to deploy this uh, it's a, a small web widget, which is the technical component to it, that installs on a brand's website. And we have I don't know, probably 35 or so deployed now. We'll have 55 here in the next you know, week or two. Um, but it's a, it's a floating little circle. It's pink or purple. There's a few different configurations of it. And it says order online. And what that does is when a user selects it right on the brand's website, it creates a, it basically is a lens into our inventory network. And a consumer who's shopping is looking at inventory that's near them, just like they would if they were on our website. Essentially giving the appearance and the user experience to, to a consumer that's shopping a brand's website, the ability to buy and transact without leaving that website. And we do so in a compliant way. So it's not a tech solution because a tech solution would be an e-commerce platform and you can go to Shopify and buy that. Um, it's access for a brand to be able to plug into our 350 drivers across the state and provide 60 minute delivery, which is unheard of. They can't do that. And as a byproduct of having all of these transactions now coming from the brand's website, we're offloading some of the marketing and acquisition costs and responsibility to the brand. But at the same time, we're capturing that consumer for purposes of retargeting and engagement 
but also for acquisition and data uh, intelligence. So now we're capturing a bunch of information about a consumer that's coming from a particular brand's website that we can now use to educate a brand in a way they never could before. Um, you know, from the average age of customers, the gender, and the significance of those two attributes, location, on what SKUs they buy. Um, you know, we helped a brand here in the state of California um, called Rebel Coast. We launched, uh, they recently launched a new seltzer brand in individual cans. I believe it was back in Ju July, I think. And um, we helped them launch that statewide, which is something, again, a brand can't do. When you, when a brand deploys on our menu, they get statewide distribution. And uh, so by doing that, we were able to launch across the state, collect a bunch of intelligence. A week or so later, those consumers got a survey asking them about their experiences with the product, which was then used by that brand to identify what flavors are most you know, prevalent. It helped them identify the opportunity to create a lower THC version of the product. And it helped them identify how much product they need to build by SKU, what's the most popular, and so on and so forth. And so having access to that information, something they've never had before, and we're helping them uh, create a relationship with a consumer they never had. Have you seen, you know, you guys have so much data. Uh, have you seen any, any trends, um, you know, not specific to brand, but maybe specific to product um, that, that are interesting to you? Um, you know, and it can be like, you know, from March on, like, because you said, you know, uh, beverages are becoming a little bit hotter, um, edibles, and, you know, this is, COVID is a, a respiratory disease. So, you know, people might be a little reticent to, to smoke nowadays. Um, so have you found any interesting trend data that um, that kind of goes against, you know, what was popular last year? Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of it. I mean, a few call outs. You mentioned beverages. That category was up about 45 percent. I know we issued a blog post on this, but I'll, I'll paraphrase as much as I can as much as I can. Um, about 45% up on beverages. Um, lower THC products are trending specifically in the edibles and beverage categories as people look for more of a social uh, type, you know, derivative versus, you know, the outright completely stoned out of your mind. And also, um, we've seen a higher concentration of purchases taking place um, from consumers that are in that kind of 30 to 45-year-old mark. Uh, as well as a, a, a significant increase in the female population, which now represents, I believe, 46% of our four or 248,000 customers at last count. So it seems like the diversification from audiences is growing. There's a higher propensity to buy things like beverages and edibles and lower THCs continuing to, to make its way into that uh, newer consumer category. And, you know, I would say the other major trend is, and, and not an obvious or, or an obvious one is people are buying cannabis at all times of the day now. Like uh, we used to have significant peak times between like four in the afternoon and, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And now we're seeing significant volume, mind you, trending a little bit downward as people are going back to work, but we're getting orders as early as 9 a.m. And, you know, ramp up starting as early as, you know, noon or one o'clock and then staying pretty consistent throughout the balance of the day. So, and that's given us some advantages on the operation side, as you can imagine, you know, delivering all of that material in a short amount of time uh, can be challenging. You know, 
I, uh, you mentioned zip codes earlier. Can you tell us who the best performing zip codes are? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it varies. So, like... Uh, 90292. <laughs> is, is that you, Ann? Yes. <laughs> we see higher order values uh, along the coastline, as you can imagine, pretty affluent areas. So, Huntington Beach, you know, average order values are north of $200. We see... Really? Um, you know, uh, a higher propensity for premium flour. So a more cannabis based connoisseur and, you know, the Hollywood and, um, you know, Beverly Hills area. There's a lot of, uh, as everybody knows, artists and, uh, music and wait, can you deliver to Beverly Hills? We can, we do every day. Okay. I thought they had a, or they had tried to stop. I know that they don't have dispensaries, but I thought they had tried to put a stop to delivery in that zip code. Um, a lot of cities have tried to do that. Um, state regulation, actually, there was a, a ruling, I think, day before yesterday that the state had won that and superseded all regulations that were trying to be passed by um, individual municipalities. So that's officially out of the way. A few oh, days great. Ago. Um, m- most operators, especially us, followed the state regulations, and um, we've got quite a few customers in those markets, and um, they're quite affluent and they buy quite a bit of stuff. And, you know, we've, we have a few uh, commercial partnerships there too. We're delivering to hotels and businesses and all kinds of stuff. So um, yeah, business is booming in the, in the arts industry. Phil is, is adding this to the reasons to move to Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) Huntington beach, apparently. Um, So Christian, congrats again on record revenue in uh, Q2. Uh, what are the main drivers of that? And how do you think about growth for the remainder of the year? Yeah. So I would like to think that, you know, I, I think we got a, a really good head start um, as a byproduct of the shelter in place and being deemed an essential service. As you as mentioned earlier, doubling your business in a month, um, you know, is, uh, is not easy to do. I would say, you know, it's not something you can plan for. It's typically not something you could ever really, uh, go and, and, and accomplish on your own, that type of demand needs, you know, some sort of catalyst. And in this case, it was, uh, something negative that happened to society, but I think overall created a fair degree of awareness to the, to the industry and the benefits, which has been, which has been good. As far as continuous growth from our perspective, as I mentioned, the, the ability to have the automation and the technology to meet the demand. Now that we have this robust network, the 420 plus professionals helping us make this happen every day, um, you know, we're, we're poised for growth and we've got some capacity left in the tank to, you know, further expand on that. So every day we're reviewing the data to know exactly which markets are next um, and to, to continue to expand on, on the business. From uh, operations perspective, you know, we're looking at things uh, such as additional facilities from a fulfillment perspective to further reduce our delivery expense. Um, we currently hold three licensed locations across the state. Um, we've signed agreements for a fourth, um, and we're looking for a fifth. So there's there's operational efficiencies that are going to be gained there. We look at additional strategic growth in really two main areas as we look to the second half of 2020 and into 2021. The first is menu ownership. So. Uh, we recently made an announcement about the uh, pending acquisition of a lifestyle brand, Mosin, which is a disposable vape brand. And we've got a, a pretty robust roadmap for what that uh, product and that brand is going to do. 
um, as well as entering into a, an in-house flower category, not for the purposes of, you know, really going off and competing with our brand partners, because they are starting to build good loyalty in certain categories. But there's a segment of the beverage market within each category that there is a less loyal consumer. They're really looking for the fastball, something that's good, safe, you know, carries a good price point that, um, you know, that, that they're not overly concerned about what the, the name is on the package. And so we see that as an opportunity, you know, to really go after that and, and ascertain some additional gross margin for the business. You know, we're at a, at a product level, we're about a 64% gross margin. And um, we believe we can get that into the 80s um, through uh, further menu ownership strategies and, you know, Mosin being the first. The second area of expansion where we see a big opportunity for growth is uh, entering new markets. So, you know, we've been investigating and analyzing different states um, for a combination of different types of entrants. One is replicating the infrastructure and uh, operations that we have in California, meaning putting drivers and vehicles on the street. And there's certain markets where the regulatory environment are very conducive to that. A good example, Michigan, Illinois, uh, and Massachusetts, uh, whereby consume, where a, an operator like us can deliver statewide. Um, other markets like, say, Oregon, have regulations that are a little bit restrictive that would be a little bit... Um, you know, less attractive to us to go and set up a full operation. And as an example, if in Oregon, a, a dispensary um, or a delivery license, in this case, you have to have a dispensary in, in Oregon, there are no non-storefront retail licenses. Um, you can only deliver products to uh, consumers that live in those city limits where the license is held. So you can't deliver statewide. You'd have to have, a, you know, like 30 dispensaries to hit the whole state. That's not conducive for us to go and replicate what we've built. Um, here in California. So we look at, at those less attractive markets um, as an area of expansion through what we've been working on as well through the first half of this year is really productizing our technology so that we can start to offer it in markets as a platform, as a service, and start to build out that side of our business so we can enter markets um, you know, from a technical and a marketing and automation perspective, providing support you know, from here at our headquarters to our partner, uh, you know, license holders in other states um, that are interested in setting up a delivery network and they'd leverage our tech to do that. So out-of-state expansion and menu ownership are top of the list. Could you expand to, to medical states like like Oklahoma um, or is that just too regulatorily hindering? That's not a word. I made it up, but yeah. No, no, it's, I, think you, I think it was a great word you made up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the opportunity is real. I mean, we think about it. Um, Oklahoma, as an example, there's a lot of licensing there. So that might be a, a, a market that, while we may enter it to some capacity, it's probably going to be through the latter of those two options through some sort of a platform as a service. But certain markets that are medicinal now that are likely to turn recreational are of very big interest to us as we see you know, that's the medicinal states are the first ones to flip that switch to rec and having a presence in those states um, during the, the during the medical only phase will allow us to enter them at a much lower cost. Um, as you know, there's nothing, nothing's for sure in life. But, uh, you know, we got an election this year, I think there's going to be some additional movement on the cannabis rec side, maybe not out of the gate on the federal level, but 
more and more states are going to be turning to cannabis as a means for additional tax revenue to help them get out of this, uh, you know, economy train wreck that we're all in. So um, we're, we're looking at it and uh, definitely there's interest in some of those medical states. From a data and technology perspective, uh, what do you think is missing in the cannabis sector and what trends do you see arising in the market today? There's a ton of things missing. So if you think about traditional CPG, you know, marketing, there, you know, there is no Nielsen data in cannabis. So there, there's very little continuity between, you know, the consumer interacting with a product through buying a product, through consuming a product and what the experiences are. So um, it's really why we had to go out and establish and build driven by numbers was because we couldn't go out and find anything that was useful as far as, you know, what brands, what categories, what pricing, what consumers, um, we'd go build it. And so now that we have it, I, I believe we have the best mousetrap out there. And, you know, a good example of that is within our brand buddy program, you know, our marketing department over the last few months has started providing marketing services to companies um, as opposed to just, you know, themselves. We're actually acting as an ad agency in many cases because we have the data and the intelligence and um, we're the only ones who can reach those consumers. And if you're a, a brand looking to grow your business, no better place to do it than with a provider that's got access to 250,000 consumers and that are buying products exactly like yours and or, and or similar. And so, uh, you know, having access to that information is something that we needed and, and it didn't exist. So we had to go build it. Christian, you've been so generous with your time um, and we know you have a flight to catch. So we want to ask you one more question. Um, and we ask this of all of our guests. Uh, what's the, the one story about the cannabis market that you think the media is just missing? So, you know, if you had to open the front page of the LA Times tomorrow and you had your dream story, what would that headline be? And what would that story look like? That's a, that's a loaded question. I, uh, you know, but, <laughs> I, I probably have a few different answers. You know, I think the industry has done a good job as of lately creating awareness around, you know, social equity and, and injustice that we're seeing in certain parts of the country, definitely the world. Um, and and that, that's, that's getting elevated. And I think there's a lot of social economic, um, you know, instances out there where as the media, everybody's doing a better job of highlighting the opportunity. You know, where I still see there being a lack of, awareness is the medicinal benefits. Those that are consuming cannabis, uh, they get it, right? I mean, in the states where it, you know, recreation is legal, you know, there's a significant decrease in opioid addictions and consumption of, you know, big pharma. And, you know, I, I had a great call yesterday with a, a, a really cool, you know, group that, you know, started a business on the precipice of, um, seeing those medicinal benefits. It was a, a gentleman, his family, actually celebrities in the, in, the, in the music industry, and a brother who had a pretty aggressive case of autism to the point where, you know, he, he couldn't talk. And cannabis and CBD helped that young boy not just eventually be able to talk, but can now be a functioning teenager, you know, over the course of several years and, and conduct a, a regular life. And you, you hear about the injustice as it relates to, you know, unlawful imprisonment and all these things, but there's a health component to this that I think 
the industry is missing out on. Um, you hear about it a little bit here and there. I know there's a few buzz, you know, articles popping up on, you know, potentially cannabis helping COVID-19 relief and, and, and stuff like this. And well, th- there could be truth and substance to that. There are decades of documented, you know, use of cannabis for appetite, stress, anxiety, um, you know, multiple sclerosis. There's a lot there. And states like California, Colorado, and others are light years ahead of, of other markets where this is being used on a regular basis. So the other day, our dog went to the vet, left with vet CBD product <laughs> to help with anxiety, swear to God. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think there's a big gap there. And I believe that, you know, social acceptance and the nostalgia of cannabis in California is eroding quickly and it's great. Um, and federally, you know, especially coming out of this recession, I think there's just so much opportunity uh, medicinally here for this product. Uh, and there's so many benefits socially for it. And not to mention, you know, the, the government can tax the living hell out of it and, and help pay some of this deficit that's being created in real time while we're talking. So I think there's a the gap there and, and the media can help with that. I love it. Christian, thank you so much. This has been um, a real pleasure. Uh, We hope to have you guys on again, um, talking tech maybe in six months or so. That would be great. I very much appreciate the time, guys, and and, uh, good luck and and stay safe. Thank you. You too. You too. Thank you. Our thanks to Christian Shank, CEO at Driven Deliveries, Inc. They trade under the stock symbol DRVD. Check them out at drvd.com. As always, thanks for listening. Chat with us on Twitter at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast or send us email at greenrush at kcsa.com. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. Um, And thanks for listening. And thanks, Phil, for for co-hosting and stepping in. It's one take, Shay. One take. Actually, a couple takes, Shay. A couple takes. (laughs) 